You ever have those weeks um, where everything seems to fall apart? Everything seems to go crazy. You ever have those? Just me. You ever have um, those days that are just incredibly long? And one thing after another, after another, after another. And you're just like, I'm, I'm done. I've got to rest. I'm, just, I'm done. Well, that was Jesus' day today that we're going to look at. He'd had a long day and an exhausting day. And he was done. He was done. And uh, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to pray. And then we're going to uh, open up to Mark chapter 4. And we'll start in Mark chapter 4, in verse 35, if you want to turn there uh, in your Bible, an app, whatever you've got. But uh, before we read together, let me pray. Um, Father, thanks for Jesus, and thanks for your grace to us through him. Um, Lord, I pray this morning, uh, Holy Spirit, that you'd speak to and through me, that you'd help me uh, communicate the truth of your word. Um, I thank you that you forgive me of my own sin that uh, you uh, make me new and you restore me and um, help me to continue to repent um, and continue to trust you. I pray that for all of us. And I pray against the enemy this morning who would love uh, in the midst of some of the storms we go through in life uh, to to rattle the boat, to sink the boat even that we're in and uh, make life miserable and keep our eyes from you. So instead, give us hope this morning, I pray, as we trust you and as we turn to you. Uh, Teach us from your word, Jesus, and from your example, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35, you're going to know this story. Even if you uh, hardly have ever been to church in your life, I'm guessing you've heard this story. Here's how it goes, starting in verse 35. On that day... When evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. On that day, when evening had come, Mark writes. Well, what in the world had all happened on that day? I told you a little bit ago that Jesus had had an incredibly, an incredibly busy, busy day. A hard day. And he was tired. In fact, if you've got your Bible, why don't you uh, flip back a little ways uh, to verse, uh, to chapter three, uh, starting around verse 20. In verse 20, it says, then he, talking about Jesus, Jesus went home. And when he got home, the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, he's out of his mind. We've studied some of these passages already in Matthew, right? And we saw how Jesus had this long day. He'd been, t- telling, he'd been teaching. He'd been casting out demons. And then all of a sudden, his family shows up and, and knocks at the door of the house. And they're like, hey, Jesus, uh, we're taking you with us. You're crazy. You're, you're crazy. You're taking this whole uh, church thing a little far, Jesus. Why don't you back off a little bit? And, and so... His family comes to him on this day. And then look at verse 22. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he's possessed by Beelzebul. The religious leaders were saying, he's he's possessed by a demon. All the people who should have known him well and trusted him instead said, nope, uh, he's not God, he's a demon. And so he begins to rebuke them. He says, well, how can Satan cast out Satan in verse 23? And if a kingdom's divided against itself, the kingdom can't stand. And if a house is divided against itself, the house will not be able to stand. 
And he goes on in verse 28, it says, Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven of the children of man, whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. And we talked about this about a month or two ago, how that sin that Jesus is talking about, blaspheming the Holy Spirit, is ignoring the testimony of the Holy Spirit of who Jesus is. So ultimately that sin, I believe, is rejecting Jesus. And that you'll never be forgiven of. But anyway, he goes on. Look at verse 31. We get more insight into his mother's, his mother and his brothers. His mother and brothers came, and standing outside the house, they sent to him and called him, and a crowd was sitting around him. This is all on that day that we saw in verse 35 in chapter 4. And they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he said, uh, who are my mother and my brothers? In other words, he said, my, my first family is my spiritual family. It's those who are here with me, obeying my teaching. And we talked about that when we studied it. Some of you, you have a biological family who are part of God's eternal family because they've trusted Christ. And some of you don't. But the reality is your eternal family is your first family. It's who you're going to be with for eternity. So I hope you've trusted Christ. Well, then he goes on and he tells parables. He begins teaching the parable of the sower and the parable uh, of, of parables of the kingdom and of the mustard seed and of the leavened bread and of the wheat and the tares and He's teaching and teaching. He gets out on this boat. There's so many people. He teaches actually from the boat on the Sea of Galilee. And finally, he gets to the end of this day of teaching. And we get to verse 35. And it says, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, uh, let's go to the other side. And I don't think he just said it like, hey, let's go to the other side. Jesus had had a long day. And I can tell you as someone who teaches God's word on Sunday afternoons, I've shared this with you before. But if you ask my wife, come Sunday afternoon, I'm done. I am, I'm done. I mean, I, I just, my eyes glaze over and I'm just exhausted. I can't imagine how exhausted Jesus was on this day. The full day of teaching and people chasing him around to his house and his family uh, saying he's crazy and all kinds of stuff that he's dealing with. And finally he gets to the end of the day and he's like, fellas, we're done. Pack it up. We're going to the other side. <laughs> I'm done. I think this was said with a lot of emotion, to be real honest with you based on everything that had happened that day for Jesus. So with that in mind, let's pick it up here and, and, and keep going. He says, let us go across to the other side. Well, the other side was the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee, it, Luke often calls it the Lake of Galilee or, or Lake Gennesaret. And that's because really it's not a big sea like you think of a, of a sea, but it's more of a big lake. Um, it, it's, it's bigger than Lake Wawasee, but, but not radically bigger. I mean, you can see across to the other side. Um, it's, it's just this big lake. And the whole area, just like our area is called Wawasee, that whole area around it was called Galilee, around the Lake of Galilee. And Jesus says, let's go to the other side. Well, the other side uh, were people who were not Jewish. It was called the Decapolis, which stood for these 10 towns, these 10 cities on the other side. And we're going to see in a couple weeks when Jesus gets over there, he faces opposition there too. But it's likely that the, the disciples thought, why are we going to those people? Why are we going there? But nevertheless, they packed it all up. They got in the boat with him. And look at verse 36. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. Just as he was. In other words, he was done. Jesus had been teaching in the synagogue. He had been teaching in the house. He had been teaching on the boat. It's like, it's like green eggs and ham. <laughs> I 
I will not eat them in a car. I will not eat them near or far. And that's Jesus. He's preaching on a boat. He's preaching in the house. He's preaching on the lake. And uh, okay, we're done. And just as he was, in other words, there wasn't time to pack. It was just like we're going right now. We're going right now. And he never got out of the boat, and they took off for the other side. Well, there's two truths I want, to, I want you to see from this passage today. And really, in some sense, there's almost two messages, which is unique. But the first one, in talking about how Jesus' life was so busy and his, his day was so busy and tiring, the first thing I want you to see is this. So here's sermon number one. I can't get away without getting away. I can't get away without getting away. Now, a few years ago, you'll remember I preached this passage in a series called Rest, where we talked about Sabbath and, and resting before God. And, and I really focused in on this part of the message of how Jesus was so busy, and the reality is even Jesus had to get away. Are, are, you, are you, you busy? Have you noticed how, and I'm guilty of this too, like when somebody asks, how's it going? Oh, it's good, but it's what? Busy. Yeah, it's been really good, but oh man, it's so busy. Like, like that's an excuse. Like that's some badge of honor. Like I'm so busy. I'm so busy. Oh, it's just great. I'm busy. Busy doing what? I mean, that's what I have to ask myself sometimes because I, I do the same thing. And the reality is I'm terrible at resting. And oftentimes I go and go, and I say this, and not to make you feel sorry for me, but just to give you an example from my own life, right? I go and go and go and go, and then I hit the wall, and I get to the point where I just, I, I don't care about people. <laughs> I don't care what they think. I don't care. I, I don't care. I'm done. You ever do that? You ever just hit the wall? And, and suddenly, like, you're, you're blowing up at people that you never, like, for, like, small things, they're like, yeah, uh, is that your coffee? Yeah, it's my coffee. I mean, it's like, okay. Maybe you need to take a break. Maybe you need to slow down. G- Jesus had to slow down. He had had a long day. And, and I need to tell you, I, and I say I because I need to, I'm preaching this to myself. I can't get away without getting away. You can't. Your body wasn't made for that. Your body's made for rest. God designed the world that way. In fact, what's curious is God created all seven days, right? And on the seventh day, he rested. But, so that was his seventh day, rest after all of his work. But for us, you know what? Our first day, we were created on the sixth day. And then our first full day was a day of what? Rest. So it's almost like God's saying, rest and then go work. Get filled up, fill your tank, and then go work. Don't work until you drop and, and like you're yelling at people over stupid stuff and then take a break. No, take a break and then go work. Get your rest. That's part of God's design. Sometimes we think, and maybe I just need to say sometimes I think, and not, not throw this on you, but throw it at me, that, that pressing through and doing it all and never resting, that I, I'm fine. I just need to suck it up and keep going. I, I just, I, and you know, sometimes that's true. Would you agree? There, there are times where sometimes you're tired and sometimes things are busy and sometimes you do. You just... Um, I I see some college students here this morning, like it's the end of the semester. You just got to suck it up and get through. But a lot of times, you know what happens? Um, You don't need to just suck it up and get through. You need to slow down. I need to slow down. I need to take a break and get some rest. And we hear things like, I remember hearing a sermon one time somebody shared, and I know he had shared it from somebody else who had preached it when I was at Moody, that, you know what? I'm never going to slow down. I 
I'm not going to burn out for God. I'm, I'm, or I'm not going to rust out for God is what he said. Excuse me. I'm not going to, I'm never going to rust out for God. I'm just going to keep moving. And I, you know, you get excited about that. And I think now, well, you may not rust out, but how good is that if you burn out (laughs) and you just crash and flame out? That's maybe worse. You got to rest. I need to rest. And Jesus, just as he was, he needed a break. And one of the things you're going to find is that sometimes when you need to rest, everybody else is going to be knocking on the door saying, hey, I need more. I need more from you. I need you to step up and do a little more. I need you to work more this week. I need you to... That was Jesus' example here, right? People are knocking on the door. Hey, can you heal us? Hey, can you heal my mom? Can you heal our dog? Can, can you do all this stuff for us? And then his family shows up. And, 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 every, and then he gets in the boat. And you're going to find out even after he gets in the boat and takes off, other boats took off alongside him, chasing him down. It's hard to get away. But the reality is you and I, we cannot get away without getting away. We have to rest. Jesus had to rest. He's God. If he has to rest, I need to rest. See, look at it though. People even chased him down. He says, other boats were with him. Even when Jesus tries to get away, people follow him. And you're going to find out sometimes it's impossible to get away, but you just have to do it. And when I say get away, I don't necessarily mean uh, like you have to go on vacation, right? Like you've got to spend a bunch of money and fly to the Caribbean and just get totally away from everything. No, I mean like you just need to clear your calendar and, and take an hour, take two hours, grab a cup of coffee and a pad of paper, turn your phone off and sit and spend time with the Lord and rest. Or maybe you need to do some recreation, you know what that is? Recreate, recreation, recreation of your soul. Recreation isn't, isn't vacation. Vacation is vacating everything and just saying, I'm, I'm getting away. Va- I mean, how many of you, you go on vacation and you come back, you're more tired than you ever were when you left. Right? That's, how is that vacation? How does that restore you? No, recreation is something totally different. Recreation is I'm recreating things in my heart the way God designed me? What is it that that turns your crank? What is it that that recreates your soul, reinvigorates you? For me, I love to just go out and do yard work in the yard. I like being outside when it warms up finally. Um, Sometimes it's reading. Sometimes it's getting on my bike and riding my bike. Um, Sometimes, yeah, yeah, working in the yard, you're like, how is work rest? Well, I'm telling you, I don't get to do it very often. For me, it's rest because I can, I can listen to something else. I, I, I'm just in my own little world. It's fantastic. What is it for you? You've got to get away and spend some time with the Lord and just have your heart recreated day in, day out. It's part of God's design for you. And the truth remains, you cannot get away without getting away. And when was the last time, here's where I'll end with this, but when was the last time that you did that? Can you look on your calendar and say, yeah, it was last week. It was last month. It was, I don't remember. When was the last time you just stepped away and spent time with the Lord? Just you and him alone. You've got to get away. Well, Jesus is getting away. And look what, look what happens. Verse 37 As they took off, then it says, and a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. 
a great windstorm arose. Have you ever read this passage and you thought, okay, Jesus is leading all these guys across the lake. Um, Jesus is God, so he's in control of everything, knows everything. Why did he lead them out? And, and why did these fishermen, why did they go out if they knew a storm was coming? If, if they saw clouds on the horizon and lightning, and why did they take off into this storm on a boat? Well, let me, let me help you with this just a little bit. One, I, I don't know that they would have known for sure that a storm was coming. They probably maybe didn't see clouds on the horizon. The Sea of Galilee is a pretty unique uh, place on this earth. In, in the way that it's uh, the geography and topography around it. It's, it's relatively small, as I told you. It's about 12 miles long, uh, not quite six miles wide, almost 200 feet deep in the center. And it's 680 feet below sea level. For reference, we're about eight or 900 feet above sea level. So it's pretty low as, as it goes. And it's more of a big lake than a sea. Uh, but it's way below sea level Yet surrounding it on nearly every side are, are these cliffs and hills. And in Indiana, we call them mountains because they're big. But, but surrounding it to where the sea is low. Let me show you a few pictures. This is on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And you can kind of see how these cliffs just rise up around it. And you can see the, the end, the south side, about 12 miles away. You can see the same thing, kind of a cliff there and a mountain there on the south side. But here's some more pictures I'll show you. This is from the northwest corner of it. Uh, this is actually a picture I took. Uh, Mount Arbel, you're looking out, and you can see, just barely see the, the north edge of the Sea of Galilee there. I'm going to keep going. Uh, this guy, you can see the Sea of Galilee up in the corner in the right-hand side. We took, I took his picture just in case that was his last picture. <laughs> and he, he's checking it out too, right? And, and looking at it, and you can see it's just surrounded. It's, it's almost a farm area. Now this... Those mountains on kind of to the right on the top, that's where Mount Arbel is. We're looking now, we're looking back the other way and the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. But it's just, it's not that big. It's not that big. We'll stop on this one here for a second. It's hard to see, but you can see the sea in the middle towards the top. And you can see how this shows the elevation the best, I think, where you've got both sides of the lake kind of with these mountains or hills on either side, right? Well, let me explain to you what happens with that then. Even to this day, if you're out on the lake uh, on a warm day, late afternoon, as it's getting to be evening, what'll happen is that wind will come in from the east, and we're kind of, or from the west, excuse me, towards the east, which is the direction we're looking, and it'll come over these hills, and it creates kind of an airfoil to where the wind comes, and then it's just right down onto the sea, right down onto the lake. And so as the, the air has been warmed up, and now cool air is coming uh, with, the, with the sunset, and so this warm air is rushing towards the cool air, right? And, and it, it rushes down, and, and these storms and waves can come up on the sea out of nowhere. And it ha- happens often to this day, late in the afternoon, early evening, as the temperature is cooling back down. And these waves just start to come up. This is a picture from the sea as well. And even another one that someone's taken uh, uh, we can go one more yet, Bryce. There you go. I mean, big waves on a little lake, right? And Jesus is there out in the middle. It's the end of the day. So maybe they did know a storm was coming because the end of the day in Jewish thought is sundown. And so maybe they go out right into the midst of some of these waves, even we don't know. But nonetheless, a big windstorm 
comes up a great windstorm, Mark tells us, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Now, if there was a thunderstorm that came up at the same time, imagine the chaos that that would create in this boat out on the sea. And the reality is that the boat isn't that big. So this is a serious deal. Let me show you a picture of the size of the boat. It was, it was probably at the most, um, the picture on the right-hand side, there's a, there's a museum on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. They dug this boat out of the muck from the, the seashore. And it's from about the time of Jesus. They call it the Jesus boat, if you ever get over there or if you Google it. And it's, it's very similar to probably what Jesus is on in this story. And the disciples are on as they head out uh, into the storm. It was about 27 to 30 feet long, about 8 feet wide, about 5 feet high. There's a recreation of it on the left. And that's likely the type of boat they were in as they head out and the storm hits them. Now, compare that boat to the waves we saw. <laughs> Would you want to be in there during that storm? I, I wouldn't. But Jesus was with him. But where was Jesus? Notice the next verse. He was in the stern. Where's the stern? You know, when I heard this story when I was a little kid, I didn't know anything about boats. I still really don't. Um, but Google's my friend. And when, when I would read that, my thought was, okay, Jesus is below deck. He's below deck. Like he's down underneath in the bottom of the boat. Like Jonah, right? Like, like that's where Jesus was. That's, that's not, that's not it. So if you had that thought, ignore that thought. Jesus was actually in the back of the boat, the stern. And some of you guys are like, yes, yeah, see, I could have told you that, Josh. It's the back of the boat. It's where the rudder would have been. And there would have been a cushion there for the guy uh, manning the rudder who would sit there and steer the boat. So naturally, that's where Jesus goes, finds a soft place, lays his head down, takes a nap. But now they're in the middle of the storm, out in the middle of the lake. And Jesus was in the stern, in the back of the boat, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and they said to him, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? You suppose that's how they said it? They just say, Jesus, hey, Jesus, hey, there's kind of a storm. I hate to wake you up. Do you think that's what they did? And it was like, Jesus, wake up. Don't you know that we're perishing? I mean, shaking him. Wait, just, they were freaking out. Now, what does that tell you about the storm? Some of these guys, what did they do for a living professionally before they followed Jesus? They were fishermen on this lake. This may have been one of their boats. How many fishermen do you know that get scared of the water? We're going to sink. I'm scared of the... No. Big storm. This is a big deal. Clearly, they were afraid. And how in the world? I wonder, on a curious side... I do this. I'm kind of weird. Like I look at some of these passages and I start to think out about it from different angles and my, my imagination gets going and I go, how long did it take him to wake Jesus up? <laughs> like, like how long did it take for him to wake up? How spent was he? Now, I guess is it took a little while. Like, Don't you care that we're perishing? Don't you care? Wake up. By the way, have you ever been exhausted like that? You, you should remember Jesus knows what it's like to be exhausted. He was human. He was 100% God, but he was also 100% man. And he, he knew the demands and stresses of life. 
Well, finally they woke him. They, they said to him, which I think is, is pretty calm. I think they shouted at him, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Why don't you care? Aren't you paying attention? You probably can't relate to ever saying that to God, can you? Or is that just me too? God, where are you? Where, where are you in this? Don't you know that this hurts? Don't you know how hard this is? Where are you? Wake up. Show yourself to me. Do something. You ever prayed anything like that? Maybe you've never prayed it out loud like that, but you've thought it, I'm guessing. You've felt it. That was the disciples. Don't you care? Don't you care? Their words seem more like a criticism than a call for help, don't they? In fact, in Mark's gospel, whenever the disciples speak, the first time they speak, in, uh, early in chapter 1, I think, they're criticizing Jesus, or maybe it's chapter 3. And then here, the next time they speak, they're criticizing Jesus. And the next time they speak in chapter 5, do you know what they're doing? Uh, they're kind of critical of Jesus. First time it was, yeah, it was in chapter 1. They're like, everyone's looking for you. Where are you? And here, don't you care? We're perishing. It's so easy for us to complain against God. And it's easier, easy for us to look at the disciples and say, what are they doing? Why didn't they just trust him? You know what? I do the same thing when I face storms in my life. I freak out. I freak out just like they do. I mean, put yourself in the place of the disciples for a moment. Jesus wasn't the only one who had a long day. They were exhausted too. They had been serving alongside him the whole time. And whose idea was it to cross the lake anyway late in the day when storms come up? It was Jesus' idea. They got to be thinking, this wasn't our fault even. Why don't you care? Why'd you send us out here to begin with? Why'd you put me in this situation, God? That's what they're saying. I think it's fair to say that sometimes, many times, to be quite honest, just like Jesus led the disciples into the storm, sometimes he leads us into the storm. Sometimes you don't get the choice. Just the circumstances of life, the choices of other people, and the next thing you know, you are in the storm. And the waves are already crashing into the boat. And I don't know what it is for you, but it's a storm. And things are crashing, and the boat is rocking, and now it's sinking. And you're like, God, where are you? Wake up. Can't you tell I'm not going to make it? And you didn't do anything to get there. Yet other times there's storms where your choices are the reason you're in the storm. And you made some really stupid choices. I've made some stupid choices. And choices have consequences. And I've made these choices and now I can't really complain to God why am I here because I go back and I look and I'm like, I'm the one who shoved the boat off of the seashore. I'm the reason I'm out here in the storm. And it was my choice. I want to talk about those two types of storms a little bit. But before we do... As you can see, we're clearly into message number two this morning, which the first one you can't get away without getting away, but the second one is this. 
And this is the key takeaway, I think, from, from, from this part of the message, is that when God leads me into the storm, I must beware of the storm getting inside of me. When God leads me into the storm, I've got to beware of the storm getting inside of me because that's exactly what happened with the disciples. The, the problem really wasn't the fact that they were in the storm. The, the problem was that the storm was in them, that they failed to trust Jesus in the midst of it. I mean, how many of you know that this passage isn't, uh, uh, the application of it isn't um, what to do in bad weather? <laughs> right? That's not the application point of this passage. The application is, listen, when you go into the storm, be wet, beware lest the storm get inside of you. Because when the storm gets inside of you, uh, you and I, we act like the disciples and we freak out. And let me tell you, for me for a second, I'm really bad at this. I, I let storms get in my heart and in my mind way too often. Um, Oftentimes it's stuff that I, I, maybe you're like this too. It's just frustrating for me sometimes. And I complain to God about it. Yeah, that's the way he made me, so I shouldn't complain. But I'm like, why, why do I have to own their junk? <laughs> and I feel it. And it, it, sometimes it just paralyzes me. This is, this is just how I react. You, you, you react different. Other people react different. But I get to where I, like, I, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to make a decision. I, I, I shut down. I just shut down. But the problem isn't everything going on that I have to deal with or that happened. It's, it's that it's gotten inside of me. And instead of my first hope being Jesus, my first concern is my eyes are on everything that's crashing into the boat and not the guy who's sitting in the stern. How do you react when the storms come? Are you like me? Do you shut down? Maybe you get angry. Uh, maybe you check out and you just, people tend to make really crazy choices sometimes in the midst of storms when they don't trust Jesus. Well, finally they, look at verse 39, they finally got him awake and he awoke and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, peace, be still. My guess is he shouted this pretty loud. I'll spare your ears. But I don't think it was like the stained glass window, like, peace, be still. I don't think it was like that. I think Jesus gets up. He's kind of frustrated from getting woken up. And he's like, peace, be still. And then what happens? It gets still. I mean, I imagine like the waves, like mid-crash, just. Whew. Be cool to see this on DVD someday in heaven, won't it? I mean, like the, the, the waves just, just crash down. And it's calm. And the idea here, this word that, that Mark records Jesus saying, the Greek word is called fimu. It's kind of fun to say, fimu, fimu. That's what Jesus would have shouted, be still. But, but what it really means, it's, it's actually the same word that's used for to muzzle, like to muzzle an ox or to muzzle an animal. And he's saying Jesus muzzled the storm. <laughs> he put a cap on it. It's like he's getting up and saying, put a lid on it, stop it. And it has this idea with it of not only be calm, but remain calm. So it was just peace. And that's where Jesus was. 
And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Notice the contrast. There had been a great windstorm. Now there's a great calm. Hold that thought for a second. Look at verse 40. And he said to them, he said to his disciples, I wonder how long it, I just, I, I think weird things like this. Like how long was it calm then after this happened? The boat's still rocking. It comes to a stop and then he turns to them finally and is like, why are you so afraid? And that word afraid, you know what? Literally, if we translated this literally, it would say, why were you being such cowards? That's ultimately, that's what Jesus says to him. Why were you being such a coward? Do you still have no faith? After everything you've seen me do, you were with me today, weren't you, when I cast the demon out of that guy? I mean, you, you saw it. Whoa. You still have no faith? Jesus has often found contrasting fear and faith. See, look at verse 41. They were filled with great fear, and they said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They were filled with great fear. There's that great word again that Mark was using. You had a great windstorm, right? Let's think about this. You had a great windstorm, and then you had a great what? Calm, right? And it went from craziness to peace, when Jesus spoke. And the idea here that Mark's trying to tell us is that then you come back to the disciples and they had great, I heard it over here, the great fear, right? And that great fear went from fear, it should have went to uh, great faith. Great windstorm, great calm, great fear to great faith, to the opposite. That's what Mark's trying to draw to us and make us pay attention. And, but what happened? That wasn't it. What did Jesus say? Not, not your great faith, but no, why do you have no faith? Why do you have no faith? In the great windstorm, he speaks peace, and your great fear should turn to great faith. I wonder how many times he thinks that of me. <laughs> Josh, where's your faith? Do you still have no faith? Do you still not trust me to get you through this? See, the disciples were shocked then by the fact that the waves and the sea just stopped and obeyed Jesus. They said, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And, and you and I, when we read this just at first glance, we think, yeah, what, what's wrong with these guys? Like, they were living it. I'm just reading the cliff notes here in the Gospels. And like, how, how did they not have faith? Yet we would have been in the exact same boat. <laughs> Pardon the pun. And we would have been like, Jesus, where are you? Where are you? They shouldn't have been amazed because Colossians tells us that he spoke all things into existence, that he, he holds all things together. The psalmist writes that, that in Psalm 30 or 33, verse 9, for he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. There's nothing outside of Jesus' control. No matter how possible and seemingly impossible and crazy things can be, you need to know there's nothing outside of Jesus' control. Now let's dial back to you for a second, because I said earlier that the point of this story isn't what to do in bad weather, right? It's what to do in the storms of life. What's the storm you're going through right now? You're probably in the midst of one, maybe a handful. There tends to be, I've already said this, but I'll repeat it. There tends to be two types of storms that we find ourselves in. The first storms are, are these. They're storms that I create. 
They're storms I create. And the reality is most of the storms in my life and probably in your life are storms I create. I said something stupid. I didn't do something I should have done. I forgot to do this. I I sinned somehow. It's usually the storms I create and it's my fault. Right? Let me me use an example. This is a a really over-the-top one, but just to make a point. I'm really hungry. I've been working hard all day, and I go into the gas station, and uh, I was going to buy something to eat on my way out of town. I was going to grab a Snickers bar, but I, I don't have my wallet with me. So this guy's not paying much attention. I'm just going to grab the Snickers and walk out the door, and he'll never know. He's helping somebody else anyway. But then he sees me, and then the cops come, and I get caught, and I, I get thrown in jail, and... And I cry out, Jesus, where are you? Why did you lead me into this storm? You're like, you fool. He didn't lead you into that storm. You created that storm. You made a stupid choice, right? Now, that's one type of storm we make. It's not always that obvious sometimes that we create the storms, but we create them. There's a second type of storm, though. There's storms that God leads me into. These are storms I can't control, and James calls them trials. I didn't have a choice that this happened, but here I am. I don't know why they got sick or why I got sick, but now I am. I don't know why I have to deal with this for the rest of my life, but now I do. And it's, I don't know why I lost my job, but I did. I worked hard, but I did. And I'm... It's a storm that God has just led me into. And Jesus has said, we're going to the other side. Listen, the problem isn't you being in the storm. Jesus wasn't caught off guard by the storm. The problem's the storm getting inside of you. See, sometimes, and by the way, that first category of storms I create, many times the storms God leads us into are the storms that someone else created. (laughs) Someone else made a choice. And I'm stuck dealing with it. Someone else did something stupid, and it's affecting me. But nonetheless, it didn't catch God off guard, and he's allowed you to go through it, and he's, he's in the boat with you. Jesus promised, I'll be with you wherever you go, no matter what, even till the end of the age, right? He keeps all his promises. So as we close, I want to close with this. There's two right responses then to these storms. For the storms I create, do you know what my right response is? My right response to the storms I create is to repent. If I've created the storm, you know what I need to do? I need to repent. What does that mean? Well, it means I I turn from what I was doing. I go make amends for it. And I turn to follow Jesus instead. That's step one in the storms I create. You, You need to repent. Did you create a storm that you're living in and that everybody else is now going through? You need to repent. I need to repent. Now here's how you deal with the storms that God just leads you into. The key application for the disciples here. You simply trust Jesus. You trust him. And you hold on. And you know that he's in the boat with you. And by the way, even the storms you create, I believe, after you repent, yeah, now there's going to be consequence. Yeah, now it's going to be hard. But now you know what you do? After you've truly repented, you do just like this one. You hold on to Jesus with all your might. 
and you let him take you through it. Now let me, this story reminds me of one other story in the Bible. Does it remind you of another one? Where there's a storm and people are freaking out, fishermen in a boat or at least sailors in a boat. Even the main character's name starts with a J. Jonah. You've got a little gray box there. Here's some biblical examples of each of these two things of who you should follow and be like. Jonah or Jesus? Here's, here's Jonah. He's, now, now here's the story of Jonah, right? And we'll close with this. Uh, Jonah, God comes to Jonah and he says, Jonah, do this. I want you to go preach to the people in Nineveh. Tell them about me so that they would repent. And what does Jonah do? <laughs> no way. I'm going this way. And he takes off this way. And then he gets to the Mediterranean Sea and he's like, I can't go any farther. So what's he do? He pulls out his wallet. He buys a ticket for the boat. He gets on the boat and he's like, I'm going that way, boys. Can I tag along? They're like, sure. And he gets on and he goes. And he gets in the boat and he doesn't want to deal with his thoughts. He doesn't want to deal with his bad choice. And so what's he do? He shuts down and he goes down to the bottom of the boat and he takes a nap. Jesus is with his disciples on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. He says, fellas, I'm done. I'm exhausted. We're going to the other side. And he shoves off in the boat and he gets out in the boat and Jesus is like, I'm tired. I've got to rest. And he goes to sleep. Jonah's in the bottom of the boat sleeping. And what happens out in the sea, in the Mediterranean Sea? Huge storm arises. In fact, in the Hebrew, it's, it's literally it's like God hurled a storm onto the ship. Makes me wonder, were there other boats around just like sitting on the deck eating Doritos? And like, oh, that guy's in trouble. Big storm like hurled down on the boat. Over here, Jesus gets out in the middle of the sea with his disciples. What happens? Big storm out of nowhere on the boat. Over here, the professional seamen and, and with, with all the shipping and all the cargo, they're freaking out, right? All these sailors, they're, the professional fishermen in the midst of the storm, what are they doing? They're freaking out. What do these guys do over here? The ones who are freaking out, they're like, we're, we're throwing everything overboard. They throw it all out over into the sea. We've got to figure out what's going on. Over here, they're freaking out. They're trying to stop it. They're like, they get over here and they, they whoa, there's a guy sleeping in the bottom. Wake him up. They get to the back of the boat. Jesus is sleeping. Wake him up. They wake Jonah up and they find out, wait, you're the cause of the storm? They wake Jesus up and really they go ultimately, right? Uh, You're God. You're the cause of the storm? And they end up throwing Jonah overboard. Jesus speaks calm to the sea and everything gets calm. But Jesus just stands up and says, peace, and it's calm. Well, Jonah, finally, he gets swallowed by a fish, and then he repents. And then what happens to the storm for Jonah? It's done. I mean, he's, he probably wasn't in the fish like in Pinocchio. He was probably like squeezed in there. And so he gets spit up. He's probably slimy and nasty. And, but he repented. He had consequences to deal with, but then he repented. He trusted God, went to Nineveh, preached the word. They all repented. He needed to repent because of a storm he created. The disciples just simply needed to trust Jesus through the storm they were drug into. What are the storms for you this week, this month, this year? For some, you need to repent. I need to repent. And then after we repent, for those storms and then the ones that God just brings us into, we just need to hold on. He's with you. He loves you. He cares. Don't think for a moment that he doesn't know. Don't think for an instant that he's not concerned with you. 
He loves you and knows you more than you even know yourself. Trust him. Let me pray. We'll take our offering. We'll sing together and uh, call it a morning. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thanks for your grace to us through him. And um, Father, I pray this morning that uh, as we trust you, help us, help me. When, when I face the storms that I've created to, to repent and to turn back to you and then to trust you to lead me and to take me through the rest. And Lord, for all the storms that come our way that we have no control over, but that find us, they didn't surprise you even if they surprised us. So help us to trust you in that. Not to forget that you are there, that you do care the storm wouldn't get inside of us when we go through it. Father, I pray for those who hear my voice this morning that if they've never repented and turned to you and become a Christian, that today might be the day they would. Um, Holy Spirit, might you tug on their heart that they would uh, turn to you in faith today and start a new life by your grace, not by their own power. And for all of us, then, help us to continue to follow you and trust you. Father, thanks for Jesus. We pray all of this through him.